Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote-unquote summer body, as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong Course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury-free, and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong Course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today. everybody. Welcome to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm Molly Herford, your host, and I'm so excited to be doing today's episode. We're doing a solo episode today, which is a little scary for me. I'm not going to lie. Normally, I have the benefit of talking to my husband and partner and co-host on my other podcast, The Consummate Athlete, or on the Business of Fitness. I've been able to talk to some amazing guests so far. But it occurred to me after I was talking to all of these badass women in the last couple months that I have not done a great job of explaining who exactly I am and why the heck I'm doing this podcast in the first place. Uh, In fact, if you have been listening to the podcast, you might actually be like a little bit confused because it seems like every time I'm talking to someone, I've done part of their job and I'm you know, sharing stories and trading these like industry things and kind of understanding where they're coming from. So what I wanted to do is kind of give everyone a backdrop for where I'm coming from as someone who's been working in the fitness industry for almost 15 years now. So for those of you who are just new to the podcast, The Business of Fitness is my weekly podcast where we are exploring all things athletic industry related through the lens of women who are kicking ass in their professions. So whether you're hoping to open your own yoga studio, you want to work as a team manager for a race team, you want to create your own fitness line, you want to freelance as a journalist, uh, from every side of the athletic industry, I want to have somebody on explaining exactly how to actually get there. 
And I don't want it to just be inspirational, although I love a good inspirational podcast. I'm also so very much dedicated to the tangible tips, the what apps are we using? How are we sending pitches? Who are we talking to? What legalities do we need to know? Uh, you know, the, the stuff that doesn't feel quite as sexy as creating the vision board, which I love, uh, but really gets the job done, right? So from aspirational interviews with fitness industry leaders to actionable advice from women who are kicking ass in their small businesses, my mission is to go behind the scenes to figure out how these women keep their shit together, which is perfect for the Feisty Media Network and the Feisty Media audience. You know, so many of our podcasts on the Feisty Media Network are about how women can be taking up space in sport and really becoming part of endurance sport, which has traditionally been very male dominated. But the thing is, the fitness industry itself is also super male dominated. So to me, it's actually really important if we want more women to be in sport. And that's a huge part of what I do in all of my various businesses and parts of my life. Uh, if we want to get more women into sport, we actually also need to get more women working within the athletic industry, in the fitness industry. So to me, that's a big part of why this is so important. So that's why we have this podcast. That's why it's part of the Feisty Media Network. And I'm so excited that you're here. Okay, here's the deal. You want to take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your Inside Tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient. And then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. Okay, so why the heck am I hosting this show? First of all, I am a massive, massive productivity nerd. And frankly, my other podcast, The Consummate Athlete, which is actually much more about the you know endurance sport itself, more on cycling and running and VO2 max and all of that fun stuff. Uh, frankly, my audience there was getting really annoyed about how much I talked about to-do lists because I really enjoy them. Some of the first books I remember reading as a kid were honestly from the nonfiction section of the library. They were all about getting organized. I should have brought one of them up with me because I still have them. Uh, you know, I was probably the only seven-year-old who had an inbox and an outbox on their, their play desk in their playroom. Uh, so I have just loved this stuff from day one. I mean, I know everyone says that they love notebooks and journals and all of that fun stuff, but oh my gosh, did I ever live that. And, you know, as long as I've been alive, I've wanted to be a writer, someone who's communicating with, you know, people all over the place. Uh, I had a zine when I was a teenager. I started writing for magazines as soon as I was in college. 
Uh, I was writing my first book by the time I was 23. I have been just in love with this stuff for forever. So uh, if you've heard me on the Girls Gone Gravel podcast or on the Women's Performance podcast, where I was just talking about more of my athletic life, I did not come to sport early. I came to sport in my 20s, basically just out of necessity. I hit that point where, you know, as as many people can relate to, you just start feeling kind of crappy in your 20s if you don't do any kind of activity and you drink a lot of soda and you eat a lot of bagels. Uh, There comes a point where that's just not really a healthy lifestyle that's going to keep you going. So I got into sport and I got heavily into sport. So I went from triathlon to Ironman to cyclocross to road racing to mountain biking to track racing uh, and then dabbled in a little bit of running just sort of within the triathlon context and eventually kind of wound my way around to where I am now which is ultra trail running but that's not really a huge part of my business journey. So who the heck have I been as far as business goes? Okay last time I tried to do this it was on a radio show And they tried to read my bio and it took about two minutes. So I will not belabor this too much. But here's the thing. I've been floating around this industry for a very long time. Um, I like to say I'm I'm sort of a, a Jill of all trades, if you will, which does mean that I am the master of none. But okay, actually, I think I'm a pretty good writer. I'm gonna give myself that. But while I am a master of none, with the exception of maybe writing, uh, it actually has helped me start something like this podcast because I know the questions that I need to ask because I've kind of bounced through all of these different areas. So I first started as a freelance journalist. I was writing for magazines like Triathlete. Uh, From there, I actually ended up as the managing editor for Cyclocross Magazine. That was sort of my first big kid job in addition to actually selling business textbooks. But the less we say about that one, the better. That was not my forte as it turns out. Really loved the managing editor part, though, although I really missed the writing. So I've edited at a major magazine. I've written at major magazines. I went from Cyclocross Magazine to writing for Bicycling Magazine. Uh, While I was also freelancing for a lot of other sites, I wrote for My Fitness Pal, if anyone remembers that, and Map Map My Run and Map My Ride. Um, sort of bouncing through all of the different various fitness publications from the ones that are super niche and you're really dialed in on the specific gear, the specific sport. It's really into the nitty gritty of, you know, what percentage of VO2 max you're doing for this to the more soft side of like, you know, five ways to get up and get your workout done in the morning that are a little less scientific and a little more motivational little more fun, a little more listically, if we're being totally honest. So basically, I've sort of run the gamut in terms of writing for other places. While I was doing that, I also ended up just within the cyclocross scene, getting to know a lot of people and spending a lot of time working with people because I was interviewing them a lot. So a few years ago, seven or eight years ago now, uh, Jeremy Powers, who was the former cyclocross national champion, asked me if I could come on board to help manage his Uh, racing team. So at the time it was just him, it ended up turning into three riders. uh, And I had no idea how to manage a team, but I like travel. I love cyclocross. So I said, yes. (laughs) And the next thing I know, I'm over in Europe for most of the fall and winter and, you know, going around and booking flights and booking hotels and 
uh, you know, making sure bikes are where they're supposed to be and grocery shopping and cooking dinner and just making sure the website is all updated, uh, making sure the newsletter is all updated, all of the fun stuff that goes into having a successful racing team. Uh, So I got to manage that. So if you've listened to our most recent episode with Liz Walker, uh, who actually is the team manager for Live Factory Racing, I get to ask a lot of questions that, you know, I have a basis in. I understand exactly what it feels like to be on the road. So rather than sort of that, like, oh, my gosh, that job seems so exciting and so much fun. I sort of understand where she's coming from when being on the road kind of sucks. So while I was doing that, once I got done with one of the seasons, I actually decided I really wanted to learn how to teach yoga. At that point, I'd already gotten my USA Cycling Level 3 coaching. I'd already gotten my Precision Nutrition Nutrition Coaching training. Uh, I didn't really do a lot of in-real-life coaching, but I dabbled in it a little bit just to kind of see if it was something I really wanted to do. Turned out, was not. Um, so as I was doing that, I was like, okay, I love yoga. I really want to learn how to do it. So I got my yoga teacher training. So I started teaching a little bit of yoga at one of our local gyms, uh, just up here in Ontario where I happen to live right now and really enjoyed doing it. But, uh, as, as I talked to Sue Amato about on this podcast a few weeks back, teaching yoga is a really hard career path. And honestly, while I really love doing the occasional class, it's not something I wanted to do full time. Writing is still where my heart is. With all of that, I also was coaching cycling camps, coaching cycling clinics. My husband is a cycling coach, so I'd help him with with any of his camps and clinics that we were running. One of the Aspire Racing Jeremy Powers team, one of the women on the team, Ellen Noble, actually started doing these quest camps for young girls. So naturally, I started helping her out with that. So I was doing that. Uh, In addition, I started writing copy for different athletic brands, so for their websites. So I do stuff with Kinetics or the American Boxer, uh, places like that. In addition to, um, I realize this is like a really long list, but this is, you know, a solid decade of my life. This is uh, just trying to kind of give a bit of an overview of all of the various things. So the other thing I took on in the past year is creating content for Jukebox Cycling, which is uh, a team that isn't a team. It's more of a collective of a cool, a bunch of really cool racers doing fun stuff. So I handle all of the social, all of the web content for them. Uh, I organize some of the non-team camps where we're at races together, all of that kind of stuff. And... I do still race a little bit on my own. As I said, I do some ultra running. I would not say I've ever been a fully sponsored athlete. It's just not something that I've ever been super interested in Um, for myself. I really enjoy working with other teams, not necessarily um, putting all my eggs in the basket of my legs. So that's all of sort of the work that I've done with other people. I've also written a lot of books. Um, I'm trying to do the count. I think it's eight or nine at this point. It's hard to tell because some of them have come out in multiple editions, so I'm not really sure how you want to count those. A couple have been traditionally published, meaning I've worked with publishers like Random House or Rodale Press, uh, and a few have been self-published. So, uh, you know, one of them that's been traditionally published, Fuel Your Ride, is a cycling nutrition book. One of them that I wrote recently, The Athlete's Guide to Sponsorship, is a self-published book that is sort of based on my experiences working with young athletes as I was coaching these camps and clinics and working with the teams and sort of seeing all of the behind the scenes and realizing a lot of that is not really public knowledge. So I wanted to make it public knowledge. 
the book that I tend to get asked about a lot on podcasts is my book Saddle Sore, which is all about uh, women's stuff, lady parts, and the bike. Uh, so I wrote that back in 2014 when no one was really talking about what saddle sores were or how to pick a saddle that would fit you. And there's a lot more information out there now. Huge shout out to Feisty in general for uh, the amount of information they put out about that now. But uh, at the time, it just wasn't really out there. So that's been a big part of my story is talking to women about how to be more comfortable and how to have fun on bikes. Between my husband and I, we run the Consummate Athlete podcast we have for six years now. That's my endurance sport podcast. And on that podcast or within that podcast and the website, we also have a book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete. So that's just kind of our overarching philosophies on training and racing and all of that fun stuff that goes into being an athlete. Um, I've also created the Shred Girls series, uh, which is if you picture the Babysitter's Club books that we all read as kids, picture that, but with bikes, not babysitting, because bikes are way more fun than babysitting. Uh, so that was sort of my bid to get more young girls onto bikes. Phew. Okay, that's a really long list. And sort of outside of that, I've also just been blogging for myself for about 20 years now, like back in the live journal days. Anyone who's listening, who's a elder millennial, remember those very painful days of blogging uh, back when we were on forums rather than on TikTok and publishing really, really cringy poetry. But that's honestly kind of how I got started in writing was being that 14-year-old with a dial-up inter internet connection, getting on these forums and talking to other people about the craft of writing. And we didn't, none of us knew what we were talking about. But you know, we tried. We had a great time discussing all of this stuff and, you know, really like going back and forth and critiquing each other. Like, you know, if I think about why I was an okay editor, it's because I spent my teen years online editing other people's crappy poetry um, and having my own poetry edited. So I knew how painful it was when something got critiqued. Um, so, you know, since then, then I had a very also cringy um, blog spot journal or blog called Death Before DNF, a concept that I have since uh, reconsidered, but at the time was very meaningful to me uh, as a uh, new triathlete. And from there, I had the outdoor edit, and then that merged into the consummate athlete, which is where I blog now, uh, which all seems like a lot of stuff, I realize. But again, like I said, I am someone who really prefers being a Jill of all trades, master of none. I like having all of these different projects on the go. I still do a ton of freelancing. Um, I still have a few, you know, clients that I work with on just a rolling basis. So I have sort of all of these different income streams coming in with that. So that's sort of how I, I make my life in general is podcasts, writing for myself and for the consummate athlete, uh, writing for other different publications and companies and writing books. So how the heck do I keep all of that straight? Um, when I started making this list and decided to do this episode, um, I realized it sounded kind of ridiculous when I started reading out all of that stuff and feels just very eye-rolly when you're like, oh my gosh, like she does all of these things. Like why doesn't she just pick one and focus on it? Honestly, because I enjoy it is the main answer. Um, I really like being able to shift gears and, you know, move from one project to another. 
But I think what I also really love about it is the amount of sideways skills that you learn when you work in all of these different arenas. If I hadn't been a managing editor at a very small magazine at a time when uh, you know, I was doing the actual like line editing, but I was also doing a lot of the layout myself. So I was using Adobe InDesign and using Adobe Photoshop and figuring out how those things worked. So when I had to self-publish my first book, I could pretty easily handle creating the layout for it and actually uploading it and, you know, getting all that done rather than having to hire someone with money I didn't have at the time you know, the sideways skill of interviewing. I've been working as a journalist for 15 years now. And in doing that, I had interviewed thousands of people. <laughs> and that's kind of an exaggeration, but not really. Um, I interviewed a lot of people because I was doing a lot more like race day journalism. So, you know, I'd be interviewing 15 people in a weekend on a, on a cyclocross weekend easily. Uh, so in doing that, I kind of set myself up for being able to be a decent podcaster who could ask a lot of questions uh, and not get flustered and have kind of awkward pauses where you're trying to figure out the next question to ask. And, you know, in doing all of the stuff for different companies, different, uh, you know, magazines and stuff, I learned how to work within deadlines. Because if you don't turn something in by a deadline and you're a freelance writer, guess what? You don't get a paycheck. So, I'm pretty good at handling deadlines because they meant the difference between paying rent or not paying rent, which means I'm also pretty good at setting my own deadlines for my projects that are not necessarily paying the bills, like finishing you know, the next draft of my next book or anything like that, or even starting podcasts like this one that aren't necessarily earning me a, a living, especially right out of the gate, but you know, it's something that I want to do. So I really love the fact that kind of everything that I've gotten to do has given me sideways skills for moving between all of these different things. Getting my coaching certification, getting my yoga certification meant that I could write about yoga and speak about yoga uh, in a way where I actually have the credibility because I have the credentials. You know, it lets me do more talks and go to more places because I can give talks, but I can also then teach a yoga class. So I think in that way, as you're kind of pivoting between jobs, I think the cool thing is that you get to like think about yourself as like collecting different skills and then thinking about how they can be used if they're shifted slightly, right? So you go do yoga teacher training and it's supposed to be so you can go work in a studio and teach a yoga class. Well, I got my teacher training and then I was, you know, asked to coach a camp where they wanted me to ride with the kids, but they also wanted me to be able to teach yoga you know, a couple times a week as the kids were getting more and more tired and more and more, uh, you know, stiff and inflexible. Uh, you know, then we came home and boom, pandemic hit. And, you know, suddenly there was a need to have yoga teaching online. And because we already had a podcast and we were already doing a lot of that kind of stuff where we were on video and we knew how to use Zoom and do all that stuff, we were actually really uniquely positioned that I could start teaching yoga for Ontario Cycling for their youth programs and for their adult stuff. I could just shift to doing that online really easily because I knew how to do the yoga and I knew how to do the online streaming. So kind of being able to combine those skills and sort of see your skills as like a, an ingredient list that can be sort of blended together in a vast variety of ways, I think is one of the coolest things about how how work works now. 
So that's a little bit about my background here. Okay, practical stuff, because uh, as you might know from listening to a couple episodes of this podcast, I love a good list. I love a good productivity system. Before I get into it, though, I will say the number one thing that I am learning, and as I'm talking to a lot of people, we're all kind of saying the same thing or realizing the same thing. It's that systems are wonderful. Journaling is wonderful. Goal setting is wonderful. These are all great. Vision boarding is wonderful. These are all really great, fun things to do. But if you don't actually do any work and you spend all of your time sort of in this phase of like, okay, well, I need to spend time like really thinking about and like verbalizing my why and like getting through this, you know, vision boarding process of how I want the business. And you're actually never writing a damn article or you're actually not like sending out a pitch or, you know, doing the next thing. All of these like great productivity systems uh, aren't really going to get you anywhere if you don't actually do some work. So if you find yourself kind of caught in the like, but which calendar do I use moment? No calendar right now. Start with GCAL. Doesn't matter. Start with whatever calendar is already on your phone, already on your computer. Just get to work. Put something on your calendar if you need to. Otherwise, open up the doc, get typing, start emailing, do the next thing. So I always default to the next best action. So, I mean, we can spend all day on the journaling, on the goal setting. Um, but if if we're not shipping, if we're not getting stuff out the door, out the inbox, um, we're just not going to get anywhere with with these these jobs. So I implore you to enjoy the productivity systems. Like I am so excited to uh, have one of the women from the Feisty team, Ellen, on here to talk about how to use Notion because me and apparently everyone else that's been on this podcast are really intrigued by it. But I think we're all having that same um, nervous moment of yeah, is this going to be the kind of thing that's going to take me a week to figure out and I'm not going to get any work done in the process? So right now we're we're all giving that a miss, but my, my mind might change. In the meantime, though, to keep everything together, I will say I have a few tools that I have been using for a lot of years, so I'm going to talk about them. So the first one I have used for 10 years now is Evernote. Um, you've probably heard of Evernote. It's the note keeping app. I actually, so I have a Mac. Uh, I have all Mac. That's actually probably my first productivity thing is that uh, I have a Mac, an iPhone, and an iPad. So they can all, they all talk to each other. I can copy something from my Mac directly into my phone. It's fantastic. It makes, you know, working with a couple of different Instagrams way easier. I do use later, but I don't use it to its full extent. So I often find myself needing to copy captions from my computer onto my iPhone when I'm using Instagram. So I really love just kind of working within the Mac system. That's my personal take on it. So with Evernote, I actually use the Evernote legacy app. So the new Evernote, uh, the current updated Evernote, uh, has so many bells and whistles to it. And you might love bells and whistles. It's got reminders and now you can add some dates to it and you can make all of these different lists and it has all these different clippers and just tons of like add-ons. But the way I use it, it was actually bogging it down, having so many things that it's now doing. All I want it for is text. It's where I draft every article. So as soon as I get assigned an article, it gets its own Evernote. I make a little outline or write any notes that I need in there, who I need to contact, that kind of stuff. 
And that's where I'm going to write the draft of my article. So I don't need it to have tons of different stuff. I just need it to be text-based. Uh, when I was using the current version, it just kept bogging down my computer, slowing down. I was typing faster than it, so did not care for that at all. So we shifted back to the legacy one. It's where I keep everything. Um, I have one notebook that has just active articles. So, you know, whatever 20, 40, 60 articles I'm working on at any given time. Uh, they're all in there with their due dates, with any notes, and I can bounce in between them. As soon as one article is done, it moves into the archive folder. I don't delete them because sometimes it's good to have, you know, to remember like, oh yeah, I, you know, wrote about this thing and I linked to this study or I linked to this article. So it's nice to be able to search and go back. So I just keep everything in an archive folder. And then in Evernote, my husband slash co-host of The Consummate Athlete, uh, has a shared notebook with me. And that's where we keep all of our show notes and uh, stuff within the consummate athlete side of things, uh, which is his main business. And then I run the podcast and the content side. So that's Evernote. I also use this amazing app, Todoist. So not that many people use this one. Everyone's all about Asana or any of those more uh, team-based apps, but I find if you work by yourself, especially Todoist is fantastic. Uh, if you're someone who loves checking things off, highly recommend. The free version is amazing. I don't have like I don't have the paid version, and I don't need it. So in Todoist, you can create a whole bunch of projects, whatever. What I really like the projects are great, and I really like that within the project you can sort it into. Uh, the Kanban style boards and have it nice and organized like that. But what I really love about it is that it's a date-based to-do system. So you can have your list. So I have, as soon as I get an article, it goes in Evernote, but it also goes into my Todoist with the deadline. I also back that deadline up. So say I have an article for bicycling on how to get ready for trainer season. That's due, say, November 20th. So if I got that today, it's October 29th, I would probably put, okay, you know, put the date in like trainer article due November 20th. Then what do I need to do? Okay. A week ahead of that, I want to have a draft of it done. So November 13th draft trainer article. Okay. How am I going to do that? Back it up a week, November 6th, email people to interview about trainer article, outline trainer article. So it's sort of three tasks for one article, but that way I'm not getting to November 20th and being like, oh shit, that article's due and I haven't even started it. Um, I find, you know, it's great to put your deadlines on Google Calendar, but if you're not backing out the deadline, it's so easy to get to the due date or the day before the due date, especially as a journalist. But really this applies to a lot of different jobs. You get to that date and you're like, oh crap, I am not prepared for that at all. Um, and if you have a lot of other stuff going on, pretty hard to get those articles done in one day, especially when you have to do interviews. So that's that. That's the deadlines I set. The other thing I do that I love is Todoist has recurring tasks. So you can set something to recur every day. The beauty of it is you still get to check it off. And once you check it off, it moves to the next day. Uh, so for me, you know, I really want to make sure that I'm getting my training in. So every day it has fill out training log. So this is kind of a twofer, right? I can't fill out my training log until I do my training, but having the fill out your training log prompts me to actually record my workout, record my feelings from it. So that keeps me honest with my coach. Uh, the other things that I have daily are, you know, Instagram for the team that I work with, Instagram for the consummate athlete, my Instagram, you know, that kind of stuff. 
the podcast is recurring like once a week. So it's, you know, every Thursday is this podcast uploaded, you know, every Monday is the consummate athlete uploaded. So I have all of those recurring tasks that really just keep my weeks running smoothly because while sure, maybe you're going to remember every Monday you need to record a podcast intro. Honestly, I think it's pretty hard to remember that every single Monday, especially if you have a really busy schedule, a really hectic life. So I love having it written down. I love being able to check it off. It's also great for when you're, you know, out and you think of an idea you need or, you know, a thing you need to pick up or whatever, just pull out your phone, put it in there. And, you know, that way it's there and you have to check it off. So, you know, you're going to get it done. So this is what it looks like. It's very glary as I'm trying to show. Uh, so if you're watching the video, you can see. So nothing super fancy. It's just a basic checklist, but it makes such a difference for me getting things actually done. I used to try to keep a running to-do list on paper. I tried to keep one in Evernote, but it didn't have the same like date capabilities. Uh, to-do list also syncs with your Google Calendar. So that way, you know, appointments actually go on it, which is great for, you know, as I'm booking podcasts and stuff like that. It's just really helpful for since my husband and I both work at home. We have our shared calendar that all of my appointments go into so he can see, oh, she has a call at two. That means I can't be upstairs working away on the computer, typing away while I'm trying to record a podcast. So that's how I keep track of everything. I've said this in a couple of podcasts. I think the big thing for me is keeping everything in one place. So I don't have a separate to-do app for home stuff and for workout stuff and for social stuff and for work stuff and for freelance. Like I keep it all just within one calendar uh, because I find if you have like six different calendars, you tend to fill all six of them with about like eight hours a day worth of stuff. Whereas if you have one calendar, you can remember that, oh, right, you have to do, you know, you have a dentist appointment, so you can't book a call for this time uh, because they're all listed in the same place. So I think just having that one spot that has just that master list, super important. As far as podcasting goes, I use Calendly to book. It's fantastic. Free version is great. Highly recommend. Uh, for the record, none of these are sponsored. They should be, but they're not. Um, Calendly is fantastic for booking. Um, the free version is great. The paid version is way better, but definitely try the free version if you're looking for a software to that can like automatically book stuff for you, create a Zoom link, do all your and put it into your calendar. So good. I use Zoom to record podcasts because now it records on multiple tracks. It works with whatever microphone you have. And the nice thing with that is people know how to use it at this point. Uh, there are a bunch of different podcast recording apps and websites out there, but I find Zoom is just so much more intuitive for your guests. Like it might be great for you to use something more like Zencaster, but it's kind of confusing from the guest perspective. So I find Zoom just makes everything easy. Uh, I use Canva to create stuff. We've had a few different guests on that have said Canva is just the number one graphic design software. If you get the premium version, you get so much great clip art, so many great stock photos. Highly, highly, highly recommend that. Uh, so we use that for a lot of, you know, my consummate athlete stuff. Um, a lot of whether it's postcards or blog graphics or Instagram graphics, that's what we're using. Uh, to edit the podcast, we use Audacity, which is a free program that you can get from Mac or PC. Very basic. It feels very like Web 2.0. Uh, like you're going to think that you had it on your Microsoft like Windows 95 platform, but it works fantastically. It's not, you know, kind of over 
overstuffed with way too many features or trying to be too fancy. I really enjoy that. And the most important thing, invoicing. I would say the biggest lesson that I have ever learned in a decade of 15 years, actually, of working as a freelance journalist is no one is going to drop everything to pay you. No one wants to pay you. I mean, they might not not want to pay you, but no one is like coming after you to be like, hey, you haven't invoiced me yet for this article you wrote. Could you do that? For the most part, they're all kind of hoping that you forget to invoice them. So you need to be the one who is keeping track not only of making sure someone gets an invoice, but also making sure you follow up and that they paid the invoice. I came to this conclusion maybe only three or four years ago, and I did the calculations and I have probably lost somewhere between sixty dollars and $100,000 over the last 15 years just by not being organized with my invoices. I've never missed a deadline in my life for an article. I've never like not handed something in. I have, however, just not invoiced. And I have not followed up. I've just, you know, assumed a company is going to mail me a check. They're not. You usually have to follow up. Even the biggest companies that you would assume would be really easy to get paid through are not. So have a way that you're invoicing, have a way that's easy that you're invoicing, and make sure that you're keeping track of who's paid and who hasn't. Um, I used to use QuickBooks. I found that was actually a little too complicated for me, or it was it was just like more than I needed. Uh, it, and not only that, a lot of companies uh, and people who freelance for companies versus entrepreneurs who run their own business and are working with clients uh, will understand this. A lot of companies, if you send them a QuickBooks invo invoice, that's not how they pay. So they're going to send you back, oh, here's our payment portal or, oh, like send me your, you know, this direct deposit or this, this, and this. So the QuickBooks thing just gets kicked to the curb and you then have to reconcile it anyway. So I just found QuickBooks was just not the best solution for me. I now use mint.com just to, as a free way to keep track of my actual spending, both personal and business. Uh, it's just a nice way to make sure that you're actually making money, uh, that it's coming in. It lets me see who's paid me if I didn't get an email saying it was getting paid. Uh, and frankly, I don't really trust the emails because I've had a couple of transfers that didn't, didn't actually make it into my accounts. So I like using Mint just to make sure that money is where it should be. And then I actually use a Google Sheet for my invoicing. Um, Google is great because you can actually uh, use the sheet, create an actual invoice that you can then save as a PDF. Just download it, save as PDF. You can send that invoice with all of the payment info that the company needs. And then I have another sheet where I'm actually keeping track of invoice number, date, company it was sent to, amount it was for, when it was paid, where the payment went. So at the end of the year at tax time, I have this one sheet that shows me exactly how much I made and who's paid me and more importantly, who owes me money. So keep it as simple as humanly possible, especially with invoice stuff, um, because it's something you're going to have to do every week if you are working for yourself. You know, it's something you have to keep on top of. So the more complicated and complex it is, the harder it's going to be to stay on top of. So highly recommend figuring out what works for you with that and sticking to it. And the last thing I use is just 
plain old notebook. Uh, Celine Yeager, when she came on to talk about writing books, she said the same thing. I love pen and paper for a lot of things. You know, most of my lists also live on the computer, but when I'm trying to just dump stuff out of my brain, when I'm trying to, you know, come up with like a list of things I need to you know, do around the house or do before a trip or do to get ready for a talk or, you know, just really more on like the goal setting and journaling kind of side of things. I love just pen and paper. So I like just whatever notebook is lying around. That's what I use. And every morning, my morning routine is that I get up, I have a to like my to-do list is in Todoist as previously discussed. But it's often, you know, 25 tasks, which I know everyone says use three tasks. Here's the thing. I have to do Instagram for four different places every single day. That is just part of my work. Like, that's just how my work works. It's not an option. Uh, So if I'm doing that, those have to be done. Those are tasks. Uh, You know, I need to train every day. That's an important task. Uh, You know, I need to phone my sister or like text a friend. These are, you know, little tasks that have to get done. So yeah, it adds up to something in the 20s as far as like total tasks for the day. And that's fine. What I do though, to kind of stick to this, like having most important tasks and things that you actually need to get done is that I take my notebook, my actual pen and paper notebook, And I start with just my quick little gratitude list of 10 things I'm grateful for, thankful for. I find that puts me in a better mood for the day. Uh, And then, then I look at my Todoist, see what I have on for the day and list from that my three to four most important tasks that have to get done. And those are the ones that I'm going to prioritize. The rest of the stuff might get kicked to the next day if it needs to, but those things are going to get done. So I find that that helps kind of combine the fact that like life is not three tasks a day and then you're laughing. Life is a little messier than that. Sometimes you need to pick up milk and that needs to be on the damn to-do list, uh, even though it's not your most important task. Uh, So I think this is a system that combines them pretty neatly. So that's sort of a quick look at my, my systems. Um, And really so much of it comes down to just what is the next best action, which for me right now is because it's Saturday, I have to finish up a couple little things online, but then I'm actually going to spend some time working on some house projects because frankly, if I turned the computer around, it would scare everyone because our office is looking like a disaster zone. So as it turns out, yes, you can juggle a lot of jobs. Yes, you can juggle a lot of goals, but... It is not always going to look super neat. It is not going to always look super Instagrammy. It is kind of exhausting sometimes. Um, and that's okay. So I think just remembering that, uh, you know, anytime you're seeing something like this, if if this freaked you out at all and makes you like, you know, oh no, my systems are all out of whack. Uh, again, you are seeing a very tiny square of of my life right here. You are not seeing the shelf that I started a month ago that is still not put together um, or the dog that really desperately needs to go out for a walk. So don't panic uh, that your systems are not totally set up. Good news, bad news. They're never going to be perfectly set up, but that's okay. And that leads to the fact that we are going to have a live episode as part of our business of fitness 
proper launch where it's getting its own feed. It's officially its own podcast as part of the Feisty Media Network. Super excited about it. And we're doing the live launch at the Outspoken Summit. And the topic is going to be all about imposter syndrome. Uh, and we're talking and we're talking with some of the most experienced badass women out there who've done this wide variety of jobs within the uh, athletic industry. And you know what? They still all feel it. They still all deal with it. So I'm very excited that I get to kick off the summit by talking to them about it on the mic for all of the attendees. And, uh, you know, I get to hear this for myself and it's going to be streamed live on Facebook and it's going to be on the Business of Fitness podcast feed. So super excited. Definitely make sure you're tuning in for that uh, and hit me up over at the business.of.fitness Instagram um, or at Molly J. Herford. That's me. Uh, hit me up with uh, any suggestions you have for guests, any topics you want covered, whether it's, you know, how to read a contract as an influencer to, you know, this entrepreneur is doing something really cool in the fitness space to I want to start a yoga studio and I have no idea what to look for in a physical space. Just hit me with any and all questions, any and all topics. Would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode um, and make sure you're following along on the business of fitness. I will see you next week. Thanks for listening.